today we're going to be, our, our, our point of discussion has a little bit to do with what we talked about over the last two weeks, but it's another thing you might have heard about. It's called deconstruction. Um, a lot of Christians are describing what we used to call apostasy. And I'll explain that in a moment as deconstruction. It's, it's in your notes here. If you need notes, just let us know. we got some more copies in the back. But they're describing that deconstruction. Um, does the fact that major Christians are now deconstructing or apostatizing, um, does that mean Christianity isn't true? So what does deconstruction mean? This very interesting-looking gentleman, unfortunately he's dead now, but is named Jacques Derrida, Dr. Jacques Derrida. Um, Derrida is credited for using this deconstruction word in a way with ideas. You guys know the word deconstruction just means pulling something apart that was formerly integrated, right? Like if we go deconstruct a house, demo day, right? So uh, the so deconstruction deals with demo day to your big ideas in your life. The ideas that are the cluster of ideas that help you interpret reality, you pull them apart. So this is one of the fathers, French philosopher fathers of, of, of what we call postmodernism or relativism, um, that uh, truth is determined per person or per group. Um, uh, Derrida was an interesting, really interesting fellow. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, he came up with what's called reader response theory. I, I'm not, I'm, you know what? I wasn't going to get into cult attack on this one. Um, Again, reader response theory was this. It was a radical new way of looking at literature when somebody communicates to you and they say, look, if the author's dead or not embodied near you and you're reading a fiction book or a nonfiction book, your reader response puts the meaning into the book. So you can't get what the authorial intent is out of the book. You put in what you want based on what the words, how they hit you. Um, so you can imagine what that does to the Bible. I can't get back at what the author meant. I can't get back at what God meant indirectly through the author of the, the holy books, uh, I can just read and respond, right? Or how does the scripture make me feel right now? Anyway, Jacques Derrida was the father of this sort of thing. The problem is he was also an academic. You can't teach reader response theory where you can't get at the author's intent, right? So uh, he took a debate. Now remember, if a relativist takes a debate, a relativist says truth is per person specific, how can you debate any truth if you think truth is created per person? He took a debate at uh, Yale University with another prof that wasn't a believer, and they went. he gave this intro. He said, this is why Jacques Derrida's ideas are so bad. <laughs> and Derrida came up. There were about 500 people there. Derrida came up and said, this person's totally misinterpreted my intent. And the whole crowd laughed because this is the father of you can't get at the author's intent. The words mean whatever you want them to mean when you look at them. So they're always like, what's everyone laughing at? Uh, he also, before he died, said, look, I, I think my project to try to convince people that truth is per-person specific has failed. And I think that's a truth that's across the board true for everybody. And Christianity is the greatest force in the world for, now he wasn't a Christian, I don't know where he was, but it, it's, he said, I think Christianity is the, uh, unarguably in Europe and in, in, in its colonies uh, that have developed. It's the greatest force for what we call social positivity that we've ever seen, and we need it, which is interesting from this guy's claim to be an atheist most of his life and destroyed a lot of people's uh, uh, confidence in the Bible and in text in general by doing this. But he's the one who coined the term deconstruction with regard to ideas. So the basic idea is you break an idea into its parts and then are deeply critical of, um, of what you find there and then you reject them piece by piece. So for example, if you say Christianity, there's a number of ideas in Christianity, right? The first piece is, well, Christianity assumes there's a soul. Well, why do I believe that? I, don't, I can't weigh a soul, so that's gone. 
right? Uh, well, it says Trinity. That sounds like just a confusing mess. Trinity's gone. It says God exists, but he's not physical. Well, do you see what I'm saying? So you take piece by piece a worldview, a religion, or a life philosophy. You pull it into pieces, and you reject, right, until there's just nothing left. Or you radically reinterpret it. There have been a number of people that have done this, but this is just another way of saying doing a slow, thoughtful apostasy. Apostasy is rejecting the faith you once took seriously, okay? Um, and it, it, has a, it has a kind of a checkered history amongst uh, denominations as well. So Jacques Derrida, I, I would just want you to know that what we used to call apostasy, they now call deconstruction. This is a more 21st century term for what they... what people as far back as the apostles called leaving and turning on something that was a group of ideas that helped you interpret reality, what we call religion, world philosophy, life philosophy. The deconstruction is now what they used to refer to as apostasy. So I wanted you to be aware of that. Um, you can see the unraveling there of a person or the, all the, the confusion there, maybe yes, never know. Um, part of this as well is it's, it's become really cool to be a doubter. Remember we talked about this in the first session, that it's not just, it's, it, it's, we, want, we don't want to be in the ditch of saying doubters are awesome. They're the most authentic believers and like valorizing doubt. The Bible, that isn't a biblical position. But we also don't want to act like doubters don't exist and they just need to shut up. So, we, you know, we want to have a Holy Spirit balance there. Are there any questions about Derrida? He's dead now. But uh, Derrida, deconstruction and apostasy. Go ahead. Christianity at the end of his life. I, I, I do have it, but I don't have it with me. So, yeah, I can, you know, I'll try to email. The, in fact, I'll remember to put it in the email this week. I'll find it this week, uh, the Derrida reference. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. It shocked me that he said that near the end of his life. Um, uh, quote, yes. Um, any other questions at all about deconstruction? We're going to talk a little bit about apostasy. Okay, so let's talk about apostasy. And let me tell you why this is relevant, especially for mature Christians. Um, the only part of Presbyterian, Reformed, and Lutheran theology that Baptists and Pentecostals take over from the denominational tradition theologically, usually in practice is once saved, always saved. They pull that over. Some Pentecostals do, some Baptists do. Um, so, and it's, it's a very comforting idea as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a second. But I want to just tell you what an apostate or a deconstructor is not first and foremost. It's not just a non-Christian outside of the church that maybe was raised that way. That's not what an apostate or a deconstructed, somebody who has their faith deconstructed is, an apostate's not just a Christian inside the, or non-Christian inside the church, that still could just be an unbeliever, okay? Uh, and an apostate's not just a struggling Christian. They could be, but that's not just, that's not the case that you're automatically apostate if you haven't lived the walk very well, okay? So I want to make sure we know what it's not before we start talking about what it is biblically. Now, I've, I've, if you look on your handout, I've given you a ton of references. I'm only going to read a couple of them about apostasy, but the Bible's replete with instances of indirect and direct uh, scriptures about salvation and apostasy or turning away. Um, so, yeah, now this is really, really important, uh, at least for mature you guys to understand when you're talking to other believers. The point about apostasy, or once saved, always saved, is the flip side of the coin, is something where Christians of goodwill can come to different conclusions, Okay. Uh, I happen to believe that apostasy is real, that it can happen. Um, I'm more of an Arminian, right, a, a free will and responsibility bent rather than a sovereignty bent. Um, so um, so I wanted someone, can somebody look up 1 John 2.19? I've got them here. Well, you know what, I'll do it. Let me do it today instead of, because we've got we to gotta get through some of these. Listen, so the, when, if you encounter a Presbyterian, a Calvinist, a, a person who's really strong in God's sovereignty, they would say apostasy is impossible. 
Y'all, I don't know if you're familiar with the the TULIP acronym amongst uh, Calvinists, right? Uh, it's an it's an acronym. The last the P in it is the preservation of saints that you can't ever really apostatize. Why? Because you didn't choose to be saved. God zapped you with salvation, so you can't lose it or forfeit it. So you're in no matter what. Before you were born, you were in. So um, so when Calvinists see the 30 direct references and about 20 indirect references to the possibility of apostasy or somebody walking out of their faith commitment, um, they say this one's the one that goes over all of them. Okay, so let me read this to you. This is 1 John 2.19. They went out of us. So if you read the context, John is talking about people that have left. They used to, be, they used to operate in the church as Christians. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. This and one other passage is the, is the key passage to interpret all the other ones for Calvinists. No, apostasy is not real. They seem to be believers. They weren't really believers. Um, this got uh, crystallized in a conversation I had years ago at a, um, at a conference when I first met Bart Ehrman, the number one best-known uh, New Testament skeptic in the world. In the world, um, Very, very engaging personality. But if anybody has a, has a claim for being a former Christian, uh, first one in the door, youth group, last one out, um, uh, went to, uh, went to, uh, took classes at Moody, then went to Wheaton, then went to Princeton, uh, led, uh, like, uh, two dozen Bible studies, uh, in the home and at the church, uh, uh, got to do, uh, talks at the church, went on four or five mission trips, and then he's, he's gone now, he left. Now, I think that's an instance of apostasy. A Calvinist would say, no, 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 Joe, read 1 John 2.19. He never really was. And I'm like, gosh, if he never really was, he did more than I did coming up in the faith. So I, so do you see the tension here, right? There's the difference between somebody authentically was in and now they're authentically out versus they never were in but seemed like they were. And that's a little, it's, it, for, for a Calvinist, that's more tidy, right? And that does match what they're committed to theologically. So um, I say they, an, an apost- a person that's uh, committed apostasy used to be an authentic believer. <laughs> and though, and, and so we'll talk about this scripture here in a moment. Um, they were a part of Christ's visible church. They participated in the community of faith, but now they reject Christ, turn away from sound teaching, and leave the church. So I think there's an authentic way out um, uh, of a belief that was authentic and real before. Um, now, again, you may think, all right, just generally, if Christ really, really re-energizes a heart through grace, maybe they can never, they can never do that. The problem is it looks like the scriptures are pretty clear that this can happen. It doesn't mean your faith is as volatile as one event. It doesn't mean that at all. But let me give you the second passage that's quoted most often um, uh, 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 by Calvinists uh, beyond 1 John 2. Um, and it's this, John 10, 27. You remember this one, right? My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Very awesome passage, right? So I don't think you can lose it. The verb is clear here, but you can forfeit it. And I think, I think that the reason I come to this conclusion is because of these, these scriptures. So I want you to know, it doesn't make you a non-Christian if you disagree on this. It doesn't make you, don't come to this class anymore. You can, I mean, if you're a once-saved, always-saved person, or if you're a person that thinks apostasy is impossible, you're still welcome right? We don't decide who's going to heaven. This is a, this is a question of interpretation uh, that Christians of goodwill can disagree about. Amen? So this is not, you know, if you leave your guy, I'm not sure. Um, 
yeah, so so these are things that I, I like even uh, over the years speaking at churches, uh, speaking in parachurch organizations, this has come up quite a bit uh, that, well, I, I don't think you, you know, I, I don't worry about doubt when we talk about doubt, they say, because there's no way I can ever, if I'm an authentic Christian, there's no way anything can ever happen. Um, I'm like, because one of the last talks I gave before I came here, actually I've done it once at Chi Alpha as well here in town, um, was about the, the devastating part of doubt if you leave it unattended. And I had Christians walk up and say, well, I've had doubt and I've left it unattended, but I'm okay because no one can snatch me out of his hand, right? So, uh, so like I said, again, Christians of goodwill can disagree on this. Um, I, I Obviously, if you believe in apostasy and believe that's real, you are not a once saved, always saved in the sense that it's impossible for you to uh, leave your allegiance to Jesus. So um, let's look at some biblical examples. I'm not going to read all these, but let me just read you a couple, uh, just a sample uh, of these. First Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Second Peter, so that's, for, that's Paul talking to Timothy in the, in, the, in the letters about what you do while you're in charge of the church in Ephesus that, he, you know, that Paul had planted with much suffering and risk. Second Peter, the head of the Christian church, Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. For if, after they've escaped the defilement of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome sins of the world, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back from holy commandment delivered to them. Um, so again, you see in Second Peter that it looks like, that looks like he's warning them about this, this possibility. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Second Peter 3.27, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift, to have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. <clears throat> Luke 8, 13, Jesus' words, and the ones on the rock, this is the uh, parable of the sowers, the, uh, the, 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 three, the three possibilities for someone hearing the word, the, the seed and the parable of the sower. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. Now, Calvinists would say they didn't really receive it. Um, but these have no root. They believe for a little while, and in time of testing, fall away. Again, Jesus, Matthew 24, 10. Many will fall away and betray one another in the last days and hate one another. First Timothy, again, 4, uh, well, I, you know, I just did, already did 4, 1 through, uh, 1 through 2. Don't want to do 3. Uh, John 6, 66. And after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. Well, those are disciples. They weren't necessarily saved and regenerate. Well, I, I mean, they're walking with Jesus every day. Uh, they're engaging the Holy Spirit. How about this? Second Timothy 4.3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 1 Corinthians, Paul again, 9.27. But I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man, that's man and generic or woman, who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Again, back to Hebrews 10, 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 1 Timothy 1, 19 through 20, holding on to faith and a good conscience, holding on to faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, by rejecting faith and a good conscience, 
Paul says, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom he names them Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they may not blaspheme the Holy Spirit anymore. Uh, Galatians 5.4, Paul again, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law and have fallen away from grace. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.18, those who have swerved from the truth, saying that resurrection has already happened, they're upsetting the faith of some. Uh, Again, way back in Exodus 32, uh, listen to this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered for themselves Aaron and said to him, make up gods that should go before us. Ask this of Moses, a man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation. So you see the people of Israel turning from their, at least their commitment to the God that had delivered them, right? Hebrews 13, 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So this is, again, a, a discussion of how foods would sometimes be dedicated in, in, in a sacrificial meal or service to uh, false gods, pagan gods, plural. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 through 8. And by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I've preached to you, Unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received from Christ, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised up on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. And it goes on there in that beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 15, drawing down that book. Acts 20, 28 through 30, you listen to Dr. Luke here describe this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men and women speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So again, you have to really dilute the draw away, fall away, shipwreck of faith, left the faith, over and over again. Titus 1, uh, 11 through 16, they must be silenced. These are false teachers. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, money, what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans whose prophet of their own said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. Turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and consciences are defiled. So um, you can see here that there are a number of passages. The ones uh, I put a star by, um, these are ones that are indirect. So what do I mean by direct and indirect? The indirect passages, they should be in your notes, the indirect passages are warnings. Why warn if you can't really fall away or turn away? So these are more direct where they say things like fall away, uh, shipwreck of faith, uh, turn away, uh, fell prey, uh, turn their back, uh, abandon. Um, These are more warnings. Why make warnings if it's an impossible thing for someone to... uh, to apostatize. So um, I know we haven't gotten to what you do with somebody who's already there, but I wanted to make this clear and say that, you know, there's some disagreement amongst Christians uh, about this uh, as well. But are there any comments about once saved, always saved, apostasy? Uh, Again, this is a really, really short, we're not answering everything we need to answer here, but um, yes, yes, go ahead. 
Oh, I do. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, there, there probably is a. Uh, yeah. Yes. 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 You know what? Let me just check. There may be. Uh, would somebody look up Deuteronomy thirty-two fifteen to see if it relates to apostasy? It may be a double. There may be a double, but it could be a typo for sure. So if you look that up, if it looks like it is, uh, let me know. If not, we'll definitely. We'll definitely change it. But the idea, the entire book of Jude, he says, I really wanted to talk about the faith we share, but y'all have false teachers, and false teachers are what? They're really going to ruin people's faith. You got to be careful. Um, so the entire one-chapter run of Jude's letter is just about this very subject. So um, the book of Hebrews has a whole section about, um, I can remember uh, we were, I, I used to uh, work in a Sunday school with William Lane Craig at a really, really, the biggest Baptist church, again, don't. I'm not saying it was so big, I'll work there. No, no, I filled in for Bill Craig in his Sunday school there. Um, uh, the guy who was the, uh, the, 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 Johnson Ferry Baptist was the name of it. Um, the guy, George, uh, Bryant Wright, was the pastor there. He was actually the president of the Southern Baptist Commission for like three years. Brilliant guy, great guy. But I can remember one of his executive pastors giving a sermon on how you can't, there's no way once you say yes to Jesus at the altar that that, that, that can ever change, that you'll, you're there. You had that heartfelt moment, it's good as done. And he was trying to preach. He said, I'm gonna go after a tough passage. And he was trying to preach Bill and I, William Lane Craig, Bill and I were in the in the in the congregation for this service. And he tried to say that when it says you've tasted, um, right? The tasted meaning that that metaphor in Hebrews tasted salvation. Um, he said, Well, you haven't swallowed it. You you know, you, you didn't swallow it, didn't get a part of who you are. So he took the metaphor and said they really just kept it in their mouth and didn't really swallow salvation. You're like, wait a second. So, um, so the, it was really trying to get to this idea. Um, um, any question or comments? I, this is one of those things that I, you know, there's a part, there's an emotional connection. Like, I wish it was true. I wish you could say one thing and you're like, yes, great. You know, there's no way. Um, uh, but I just don't know if the scriptures give us license to do that. Even doing this with you guys today uh, is risky. Uh, they always say you don't do this sort of thing. You, divide, you don't want to divide the room, whether you're in a public speaking venue or a church venue like this. Uh, I was just unwise. I thought, you know what? You're mature enough in the faith that this is not, you're not going to, huh, come back next week. <laughs> we go at the cafeteria next week and there's these on this side. These are the once saved. And these are the other. Uh, we're not going to, uh, I hate to build a wall. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> There you go, and that's the only part of Calvinist theology they imbibe. Uh, it's the it's the only part. It's basically the P and the tulip, right? The the T U L I P. Yes, yes. Go ahead, Larry. Isn't that interesting? Yes, same at Johnson Ferry because it's a giant mall church. But yeah, they there were people on staff that were like, but it is a again, people of goodwill can come to. You know what I'm saying? I again, <laughs> it's, it's you know there's some things in scripture you just wish. You know, I I, I actually wish this was. I, I just don't know. I don't know what to do with, uh, and it's not meant to overwhelm, but I don't know what to do um, with, with passages like this if they're, you know what I'm saying, if it's impossible, you know what I mean? But again, the, you know, the Presbyterians aren't idiots. They actually really study the scriptures, and they would say, you take John 10 and 1 John 2, and those are the clear ones, and use that to say all these passages about them never really being Christians. You see what I'm saying? Every single one of them. So, I mean, again, it's Christians of goodwill can disagree. Go, Robert, go ahead, buddy. There you go. Uh, very interesting. Now, was he talking to Christians or people that never were but thought they were? <laughs> it looks like they're talking to Christians there in, those in, that, in that beautiful part of the first part of the Revelation where he's got the seven churches. Um, but remember this. Everybody had Judas wrong. He went out with the disciples and cast demons out and then betrayed Jesus. They probably looked at Peter and said, 
he was a joke, like this impetuous disciple. He doesn't even really hard-headed. Um, king Saul, remember? God's first ordained king prophesied. The Holy Spirit used him, and it didn't look like he ended well at all. In fact, all three of the, the big monarchs, Saul, David, uh, Solomon. But I also wanted to bring this to you um, as, we, as we look. These are famous apostates. Uh, if you believe they apostatized, um, again, from another theological perspective, they say they never were believers. That's Bart Ehrman, Rob Bell, and Josh Harris. You know, I kiss dating goodbye guy. He's not only left the faith, he's left his wife, and he's in full, uh, he's in the gay lifestyle now. Um, famous uh, DC talk, Toby Mac has deconstructed. Uh, Marty Sampson of Hillsong, uh, artist, that sort of thing. Um, but remember this passage that should scare the socks off any Christian? Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, on that day many will say to you, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I think this is the key. This is the key. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If you are offering a brand of Christianity, even with miracles from time to time, but encourages people to disobey God and not think about him in their day-to-day life, that's a worker. You are working to convince people they don't have to take God into account. That's the big qualifier there. We're all like, wait a second. So Jesus never knew people, and they still sometimes, yeah, sometimes God graciously. um, I know evidenced examples of healings with charlatan preachers and charlatan healing ministries. I'll give you one. Pastor Betzer knew him personally. Evander Holyfield was healed of a hole in his heart so that he could fight Mike Tyson, falling out, which he had never done in his life, at an Atlanta Benny Hinn uh, uh, outreach. Now, everyone knows, including Hen's own son, that Hen has massive issues, massive problems, theologically, financially, right? But I think God sometimes graciously bypasses and if for an open heart will heal. Do so, you understand what I'm saying? Or as, as Pastor Betzer used to say, I believe in divine healing. Got a lot of questions about divine healers. So, um, so uh, great, great summary. Um, but it's weird because these all have apostatized in different ways. Aramon apostatized and started his journey of leaving the faith at Princeton, ironically enough, doing classes before he got to the most brilliant text critic of the New Testament, Bruce Metzger, uh, uh, who came to the exact opposite conclusion of his number one most popular student, which is his heartbreak, which is Bart Ehrman. Uh, so he had this, he basically had somebody, uh, a professor question. They were trying to figure out what looks like an invalid Old Testament reference in Mark, I believe. And he gave a couple reasons why he thought Mark didn't get it wrong. And his professor at Princeton, one just a general professor in his classes before he did his PhD, said, well, maybe Mark just got it wrong. And this one thing caused everything to shatter for Bart. Everything. The whole thing. Um, uh, Rob Bell, um, very, very different. Bell uh, was always trying to look at Christianity from a different angle and became very popular. I can remember his NUMA series, video series. Almost every youth group in the country used it. You know, I mean, it's really different and kind of cool, high production values. Um, but he, I think with him, it got to a point where he couldn't, you keep looking different and you can't be creative anymore at the word without just being faithful to the word. You end up just denying the word, right? So he ended up coming out and uh, saying, I don't think Jesus is the way of salvation. Uh, it, this was... Uh, 
published in a book called Love Wins. Love Wins Over Everything, so everybody's in. Uh, but I'm not a universalist, but everybody goes to heaven. Wait a second. Um, Francis Chan, he, you know, was like, read the first chapter and went, he was friends and called him up. What are you doing? Uh, and then after the book was panned by Christians, Oprah said, well, let's make you, I'm going to give you a TV show. So um, very, very interesting. Uh, Josh Harris has struggled um, with uh, with uh, desires, sexual desires, and uh, I can't believe I feel like a fraud. I'm telling people to, I've been being a part of the repressive movement to say I kiss dating goodbye, that you should, you know, this sort of thing. So, it, I, so again, these are all different ways of doing this sort of thing. Uh, 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 you think about even a YouTube famous, I hate to even say that, uh, there's the big screen, the small screen used to be TV, the small screen's a little rectangle called your phone. Um, but uh, there were a, uh, there was a Christian amateurish comedy, but very very popular online, uh, Rhett and Link. Um, they were uh, it's just a, a comedy duo that loved Jesus, and then they moved out to California and started doing videos. When they were making millions of dollars, they they came away from the faith because they're like, I just don't like the the social stances Christians take. I don't want to tell somebody they can't have an abortion. I don't want to stand for uh, you know for traditional family. I don't want to do that. Um, and so they 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 apostatized in a different way. So um, this can happen in different ways. So how do we respond to these sort of things? The first place to start is compassion. And just what just what our brother Robert was praying about with his brother. It starts in your own family. As frustrating as it can be. You start with compassion. Be merciful to those who doubt. Jude one twenty two says, save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. So Jude doesn't stop from warning you. He says you should be so afraid of infection of bad ideas, you should consider their 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 flesh and clothes stained. <laughs> That's so so you show compassion, you show mercy, but you don't give them a lot of influential time in your life. Okay? Pretty strong words, right? Hating even the clothing stained by their corrupted flesh. He doesn't mean they literally have corrupted flesh. I mean, there's not any Bible scholar across the that says that, but he's saying, okay, you show compassion to those who doubt, but you don't give them a lot of influence in your life so that they infect you with their doubt ideas. So uh, very, very interesting. So the first move is compassion. You're not to give up. I, again, just like uh, you pray that God give you uh, resilience and ability to forgive, um, it, sometimes it's a long journey. Uh, like I said, I wish that Wednesday conversation <laughs> had ended in, you know, uh, but uh, um, it, it didn't. In fact, we had to, we had to get off. Um, I also wanted you to be aware that you need to take the scriptural warning seriously. Wherever you are on believing once saved, always saved, or the possibility of apostasy, or the pea and tulip, preservation of saints, um, it's, it's hard to take the scriptural warning seriously if you're a Calvinist because you're either in or out, Right. Um, and it gets even more interesting when you read John Calvin talking about God sending a deceiving spirit so that people that are Christians can think they're in when they're not. So um, it gets really, really difficult. But take the scriptural warning seriously that you need to be like, look, uh, what, why did we do an essentials of Christianity in here? Why did we do how do you evaluate a leader in a church? Not just for you guys. It's for when people come to you and go, All right, I'm going to this church, what do you think? Or this leader, what do you think? Um, beyond just a gut feeling, you can kind of uh, review and, and either warn or encourage them. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's worth noting that we should reflect on our own condition. Um, uh, when you read a scripture uh, or hear it preached, how am I doing? What, am I doing this in my life? Uh, I do this. Um, you know, am I saved? Am I a true Christian? Do, 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 do I yield myself to God often? Do I think about him? It says uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Knowledge of the Holy One, understanding. So do I try to put his agenda first uh, in prayer and in devotion? Um, and 
again, here's one of those scary passages in Paul, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Don't just, it says this, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Um, don't just, you know, it, take time, stop, and uh, examine yourself. Uh, don't obsess just about your physical health and be more concerned with your spiritual health. Um, so again, uh, inspection's a strong clue. Um, we were uh, talking, we had to unfortunately trespass uh, somebody who's been trying to be a member of the church for a while uh, this past week. Um, it really was one of those options where we didn't want to do it, but it, it got to a point where it, it it just had to happen. And we were talking about how we could avoid this, like, or how we, we you know, this person defended himself to the end and said it should, you know, doesn't, it, you know, I, I'm not more of a harm than good to the church. Fought pretty, pretty strong and got, again, the very problem was the temper and, um, but we were talking about how, you know, in our own lives and in the lives of others, how this could have been avoided. And part of it is just be taking seriously how I'm doing. Not always putting off an excuse for my bad behavior, but owning it, right? I know we don't do confession much because we're worried, like I said, we're worried we'll become Roman Catholics, put a box up and start prescribing prayers for 30 minutes. But um, confession is the first part of repentance, right? You confess and you have to identify it. This is my problem. Now I'm going to turn from it. Um, so inspecting what you're looking at and looking um, looking at what you're doing is, is big. How am I doing here? What am I doing here? Not as a condemnation thing. Uh, how am I? Am I living this life? Is, is, is God important to me or is he kind of secondary? And last, uh, focus on the beauty of Christ. The person and work of Jesus is big. He's not going to let you down. He is a living uh, entity. He's still living and active. Amen. Um, uh, it, so it, it's, you can't go wrong focusing there. Um, you know, so this, you know, you, I try to pray the scriptures, uh, speak the scriptures, uh, think about them. But yeah, we all want to be Bible thinkers, right? We want to think conditioned with the word. So, um, so it's really, really important that, uh, that this is part of it. But when it comes to these sort of things, uh, you know, it says have compassion. Uh, you keep working as best you can. You pray the Holy Spirit give you examples and opportunities. I mean, again, he brought that Wednesday one. So I'm hoping at some point in heaven I'll see that guy <laughs> um, that, you know, that this was part of it or I'll call back or I'll call him, you know. Um, so it's one of those things where, uh, again, you still trust the Lord, but you don't give up. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Uh, we open our hearts again to you, Lord, uh, as we go over and uh, hear some great prayers set to music. Put them deep in our hearts so that we're singing them the rest of the week. Uh, some, uh, we, we look to be uh, cut, to be healed by your word. Uh, Heavenly Father, that your word would come to us very, very powerfully, and that in prayer we would feel your presence. We open ourselves to you, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.